This just in, Disney filed a lawsuit a few hours ago accusing DeSantis of political retaliation. We will size up their chances. Biden announced his re-election campaign with an appeal for personal freedom. We'll map out his potential path to victory. Then, of course, Tucker Carlson is out at Fox News. What does his ouster say about the future of the network and of the Republican Party? We'll also revisit the great Bud Light boycott, the debate over Supreme Court ethics, and Kirsten Cinema's path to re-election. This is Majority 54. All right, Jason, I want to apologize to the, the video viewers out there. I'm, I'm in what seems to be an Al-Qaeda safe house here in Monterey, <laughs> California. Like, the lighting isn't great, but um, shout out to uh, Hello Desk over here for waking up early and letting me in here to record. Now, uh, you last week wanted to talk about Disney very timely because this morning a lot has been going on as it relates to this sort of Disney DeSantis feud. This morning, a board that DeSantis uh, you know, appointed basically went back and nullified two agreements that Disney made with the previous board. And then within minutes, Disney sued DeSantis and basically alleges political retaliation. And so essentially, we've got this situation. This is almost like the tarantula versus, you know, the Tyrannosaurus Rex or the tarantula versus the scorpion. I, I'm not mm-hmm. sure who to root for here. Obviously, I think DeSantis is politically motivated. I think it's wrong. But you and I were talking offline about it. It's not that simple. That's not where the story ends here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this goes back to a conversation I had when I was in Florida recently with a friend of mine who is a Republican, but is a Republican who, uh, I, you know, is the kind that I enjoy having conversations with. He's thoughtful. He's not a Republican politician. He's 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 an army buddy who's just a guy who happens to usually vote Republican, but isn't so married to his Republicanness that he can't have really uh, thoughtful discussions. And he was saying to me, look, all of you liberals from outside of Florida think that DeSantis is just trying to score political points in a culture war against Disney, you know, and it's just for his presidential and it and it's bad in Florida. He's like, what you don't understand is it works for him because people here don't like how much power Disney has. And there's this whole other political element. And that's that's right, is that, you know, Disney has this wields this enormous power, like basically sets their own zoning rules and stuff like that in Orlando. uh, And people don't like it. People resent it and they resent how much influence they have. And so he's able to wage this culture war against them without costing him much in Florida. It's why he was able to do it before his reelection. And I actually feel like it's really well explained today in this tweet thread by uh, Ellie Mistal, where he, he says, I obviously support Disney over Ron DeSantis and think that his weaponization of state resources against Disney for criticizing Florida's bigotry is a point and click violation of Disney's free speech. And then he has in capital letters, but and he says, my progressivism prevents me from going to the mattresses for a company that has that has carved out a fiefdom. And he's like magic fiefdom, magic kingdom, whatever it is, a fiefdom that is essentially immune to local and state government control and oversight. And this is where I think he makes a great point. He says, essentially, Disney got to pick its own government oversight board, which is wrong. And then DeSantis changed it because he hates gay people, which is also wrong. He says DeSantis is more wrong because he's motivated by bigotry and pettiness. He's like, but you see my problem here. He says, anyway, I hope Disney wins, but don't ask me to think about it too much. And and I think <laughs> I think that is a perfect explanation of 
Like right now, people are portraying this as like it's Mickey Mouse versus Ron DeSantis. And it's like, no, no, no. It's a bunch of like suits uh, mm-hmm. who really have more power than they should have against a guy who is improperly motivated <laughs> you know Again, so brett, by the way, brett for the listeners at home you can't see what brett just put on the screen <laughs> you're such a pro uh so as, as background here let's just imagine that elon musk in texas set up the special district right that gives right. it um you know complete control essentially over fire policing waste management energy generation road maintenance bond issuance development planning and uh, basically it allows it to just ch- and even inspect its own rides so like safety inspections you know and, and so you could start to see the problem here and this goes all the way back to 1967 in orlando and honestly like it's what we call wrong right for the wrong reasons it's almost like mm-hmm. all right like if you were and the reasons matter. Like if DeSantis was a populist governor who's like, you know what? Corporations need to be held accountable. They can't get special treatment. And that was the end of the story. I think a lot of people on the left would be really excited about that. But I think once you start to know the reasons why, it gets complicated and the reasons really do matter. And I think the reasons could matter in court because what's going to happen here potentially is there are going to be all these filings back and forth. Does Disney have a claim and that's going to come down to, you know, whether they allege something that is illegal here, because it's not illegal to rescind Disney's special status in isolation. It becomes illegal if you do that in retaliation against Disney's viewpoints, then it starts to become a, a potential violation of the first amendment. And if, if they even survive these motions, what's going to happen is, as you know, our listeners now know, we're all too familiar with this, discovery. And then it'll come down to, well, what does DeSantis, what was DeSantis saying in and around all of these decisions? What makes this fascinating is we might not even have to wait for discovery because, oh, you know, ostensibly DeSantis should be subject to Freedom of Information Act requests. So... Mm-hmm. Ostensibly, we should be able to get access to some of the communications that he's had in and around this. I suspect they might have been careful, so you might we might have to wait for depositions to get behind the curtain and find out what their motivations really were here. You know, I guess it kind of reminds not to get all legal lees on this, but it sort of reminds me as like a cross between a First Amendment case and like a tortious interference case. Like a you are you are uh, interfering with our ability to do business. Period. Right. But the problem that I think Disney will have with that is that it's pretty hard to argue that Disney has not been able to do business in Florida. And and that's the point that my buddy uh, who lives in Florida made to me is he was like, look, you know, I, I see a lot of people characterizing this as like, you know, DeSantis is being anti-business by going after a biz- a major business in his own state. And he's reminding he's reminding me, he's like, does anybody really think that Disney is going to move from what they have in Orlando? Like they're not going to pick up and move to another state. They can't, right? They have they have too much invested. And in that way, it kind of does make sense that like you're going to demand more. And my own limited personal experience on this is um, longtime listeners of the show know, new listeners don't, that uh, what I do for a day job is I'm the president of national expansion at, at a place called Veterans Community Project. Short version is we build campuses that have outreach centers and villages of tiny homes to prevent veteran suicide and in veteran homelessness. And we and and we build them around the country. And uh, it's a nonprofit. And 
and on two occasions, we have come very close to expanding into Orlando. And what stopped it, and nothing to do with Disney, but what stopped it in, in both cases is basically the scarcity of land in Orlando. Because Orlando, of all the places that I've looked into expanding, Orlando is is so dense. Like there's every other place that I've tried to go to there. There's some sort of mechanism for like, oh, we have this this abandoned property, this abandoned land. Orlando, because it is so built around Disney and around tourism, there's no there's just like no land available in Orlando proper. And so when you have a a huge landholder and a huge uh, player being like, we're going to decide for ourselves how land is used, not just where we own it, but even in the areas abutting it, like that is actually a really big deal, particularly when Mm -hmm. there is so little land available. Um, The the other thing I'd say about this is like, it is a pretty classic political move by, by DeSantis here, right? It's just called reflective power. You just pick somebody bigger than you who you can politically get away with punching and you punch up and you try and get a reaction. And that makes you bigger, right? Like, I've done it. I mean, when I got to the uh, when I got to the Missouri House of Representatives, um, I got into an argument over ethics reform with the Speaker of the House. And I can remember there was two weeks in and I can remember the Speaker of the House saying to me, um, you know, if you get into a media battle with me, you're going to lose. And me saying to him, I've been here two weeks. If I'm in a media battle with you, I'm winning. Like, <laughs> and, and, and that's that's how reflective power works. And so DeSantis, who is you know, now pretty high profile, but, you know, this started when he was an up and coming national player and was the governor of Florida for him to pick a fight with Disney, whether he wins it or not, there's reflective power in that for him. Hmm. Well, I, I, I think it's worth sizing up DeSantis now as, as we sit here in this primary, there's all this talk that he's fading in the polls. If you look at it, he's at a really strong second place right now. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I and think he hasn't this announced. Con- yeah, he hasn't even formally announced. I think people had this. <laughs> Every time we talk was, about him, Brett puts this bobblehead CNN image of, of DeSantis even, on the screen. I can't even concentrate when he puts that up. But. <laughs> The, the audio listeners are going to be very confused. But every time we mention DeSantis, he just puts up this crazy video of DeSantis. And it makes it hard that you finish my sentence. But what I was saying was, I actually think DeSantis is just fine. He's got a ton of money sitting in his political action committees. He hasn't even announced yet. He's taken some punches from Trump, and he's still standing. I continue to think that he has a very, very good shot of taking that nomination. And I just think that there's there's enough grass tops animus within the Republican Party against Trump. And I also think, as we'll get to with Fox News, there's there is some movement, you know, from the sort of Trump right to just the the crazy non-Trump extreme right in some of these sort of key power, you know, you know, positions of power and, and power centers within the Republican Party. And I think that all things being equal, DeSantis is going to be their guy. And that's very helpful to him to have money, media, et cetera, behind him. Obviously, there's always going to be Trump media. There's going to be Bannon. There's going to be Infowars, et cetera. But it's going to be more of an even fight than people think it will be. DeSantis right now reminds me of like, to use a sports analogy, of like a team um, like a baseball team that has like three weeks left in the season, but uh, you know, the term you would use is controls its own destiny, like, which yep. is to say, you know, um, that, which is a sports term, meaning like if you, if you win enough games, it doesn't matter what the other side does. Uh, 
yeah. um, then you get to the playoffs, right? And so, like, and he he's like almost to that. And, that. and the reason I say that is because like Trump is coming into this with so much Trump baggage, just years and years of stuff that whether you know, it's not a lot of Republicans who vote in the primary, particularly the early primaries, are going to be like, you know, this thing Trump did is just a bridge too far for me. There's not a lot right. of that. But what there is is just fatigue, right? There's yeah. the factor of just like, man, enough. Like, and, and just like the, wanting usually, to win. They yeah, want to win. They view Trump as a liability politically, even if they like him. And he's just overexposed. I mean, there's a reason that most presidents who get two terms, if they were allowed to serve a third term, probably would have a really hard time winning re-election because after eight years, people are just kind of ready for a change. And Trump, even though he hasn't been president for this second term, he's still been the face of the Republican Party. So so he's got all that going against him. It's not to say that he's not the front runner. He is the front runner. But DeSantis hasn't really launched yet. And so the I think it's going to come down to DeSantis can control his own destiny. If DeSantis comes out and it turns out that when he hits the national stage, you know, uh, uh, our friend Axe, David Axelrod, likes to say um, that uh, presidential campaigns are like an MRI of the soul. They're just very revealing, right? Like, And, and we're going to find out whether DeSantis hits the national stage and everybody goes, oh, this is new and different. I like it. Or because most people still haven't really even seen him give a speech or he's going to hit the national stage and people are going to be like, what was all the hype about? And so in that way, he controls yeah. his own destiny, I think. Yeah, I, I continue to think that although he is not my candidate, I can't even listen to him speak that I'm not his base voter. And right. when I think about, you know, he went to Staten Island recently where I grew up and he did an event, I think for his book and people love him. And I think in part because he has a story, his story is make America Florida. And mm -hmm. that's a very simple idea. Now it might be a horrific idea if you don't want to live in Florida, but that means something to somebody in Staten Island. That means something to somebody in Iowa. And I actually think to me, just like my, my short time in American politics, I when I hear him, I'm like, this guy has a really good shot. All right. Well, speaking of guys with a really good shot, Jason. Hold on. Oh, Before wait. you even go to that, I would just like to point out that what's interesting about that to me is that that is actually a very traditional way to run for president. Like in right. this in this world where everything seems to be changed and nothing seems to apply from lessons of the past, that used to be how governors ran for president. It was just a very normal move. This is what I've done in my state. And then this is what I'll do for America. It's right. like the last I remember when Martin O'Malley was running from Maryland and everybody was like, this guy clearly has an amazing shot. And he just came in like two weeks after Bernie announced and there was no lane. But like he had done all these amazing things in Maryland and it seemed like it was going to work. So the question is, will that work for DeSantis? I'm not sure. Now, I think what everybody should take from this is that on the, on the lawsuit thing is like, yes, DeSantis, uh, just what Ellie Mistal was saying. DeSantis is wrong because the reason he's doing all this stuff is bigotry, homophobia and basic politics. But let's let's slow down before we all line up behind this major corporation and say they're the good guys. Like there doesn't right. have to be like uh, an unencumbered good guy or gal in this scenario. So anyway, well, now that you stepped on my great transition, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Biden and his announcement. He announced president. Let's go to the video. Freedom, personal freedom is fundamental to who we are as Americans. There's nothing more important, nothing more sacred. That's been the work of my first term, to fight for our democracy. This shouldn't be a red revolution. 
to protect our rights, to make sure that everyone in this country is treated equally and that everyone is given a fair shot at making it. Personal freedom, Jason. I would not have predicted that to be the tagline of his campaign, and I kind of like it. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it is it is unexpected, but I, it does make sense, right? And the in the context of uh, abortion, and then like, I mean, banning books and all this kind of stuff, uh, it is a zag, you know, when they thought he would zig, and I, I think I think it's pretty pretty clever. It's we can talk about that for a second. I have another part of this campaign that I think is clever if, if you want to. Well, get okay, let's now. just at least sit on the freedom thing for a yeah. second because what I like about it, it's very like mid-90s Clintonian in the sense of trying to steal ground mm-hmm. from your opponent. Like Clinton was famous for this where he would basically be like, oh yeah, you guys want small government? I'll be small government. I'll just say it better than you. And yeah. I'll be a little bit more reasonable about it. right? And people hate him. You know, If you hate Clinton, you hate him for that. Look, no value judgment. I'm just saying it was good politics for him. Mm-hmm. And for what Biden here is doing is like, all right, this gets right to the conversation about DeSantis. DeSantis is selling Florida as freedom. And so what we're doing is like we're painting a narrative that off the bat is a contrast to that saying, no, we're freedom. It's almost like a Jared Polis version of freedom. You know, my favorite mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. Um, that's on the that's on the majority 54 bingo card. But <laughs> the the. the he was on this podcast, wasn't he? I can't yeah, remember. Was, yeah, we, we had him as a guest. It wasn't just a yeah, conversation yeah. you had with him He's over Zoom. Colorado it really governor, by the way. Yeah, I have yeah. like a poster of him in my room. But um, <laughs> the, uh, but like I love this because I think we as Democrats don't like we don't think about the hand that we have right now. Like the hand we have mm-hmm. is, hey, we're actually trying to get out of your way. You know, we'll talk later about the the Bud Light boycott. We just talked about DeSantis, Florida. We talked about Shapiro last week in a video about. Disney, like they are trying to get in the middle of personal decisions that people make, and it goes beyond abortion. And I think that starting the campaign, pointing that out, I find very effective. Yeah. And I like how um, I think it's going to contrast very well uh, with with the Republicans, because when you think about it, like our version of their version of personal freedom is, of course, like guns and stuff like that. Um, And our version, you know, but but you can paint that as what it is, which is what they're really talking about is corporate freedom to sell as many guns as possible. Right. And right. for us, like personal freedom is like the freedom to not be shot in a mass shooting. Yeah. That's one way. But then the other way is like the stuff like abortion, uh, you know, stuff that uh, Biden has talked about a lot, uh, like un- like fees, like corporate fees that that you shouldn't be uh, you shouldn't have to pay all that stuff. And I think it's going to contrast well with the Republican version anymore of personal freedom. It's not the Barry Goldwater libertarian age. It's now their version of personal freedom is like you're on your own. It's like right. we're going to call a right to work law personal freedom. But what it really means is we don't want you to be able to organize in the workplace. Right. We want to side right. with the corporate side. And so uh, I, I do think it's very smart. Very smart. It friend. used to be that a libertarian, which I, I view as distinct from the Republican Party in some ways, but obviously there's some overlap, used to be like live and let live. Yeah. And if you're if you're a Republican right now, you can't argue that anymore. You got people like Ben Shapiro saying that if you happen to be trans and drink beer, that's you're illegitimate and you can't be the subject of a marketing campaign. And we're going to chase you, you know, the marketing director out as we'll get to mm-hmm. merely for featuring somebody who made a personal choice. That is not live or let live. And we need to go right at that. So there was a second part of this video, Brett, um, Brett might have this where they then got to the negative contrast. So this is the positive side. We're for personal freedom. Let's take a look at the second part of this video. If we've got it. 
But you know, around the country, MAGA extremists are lining up to take on those bedrock freedoms. Cutting Social Security that you paid for your entire life while cutting taxes for the very wealthy. Dictating what health care decisions women can make. Banning books and telling people who they can love. All while making it more difficult for you to be able to vote. There it is. Yeah, it's a perfect contrast, man. I mean, because at this point, what is the personal freedom Republican brand whittled down to? And I think it's just less taxes if you're wealthy. You know, I think right. I, I think that's all it really is now. Their best hand, and uh, I took a couple of trips out to to battleground states ahead of the midterm, and what I was hearing from people, and in some cases there were a lot of Latino immigrants who I heard this from, is that the message that Republicans have as it relates to freedom that appeals to them is the freedom to start a business. Like a lot of small business owners, like there's still residual feelings about COVID, taxes, regulation, and all that. And I still think like Republicans, like in a place like Florida, like they're going to try, they're going to talk about that. And I think as Democrats, that's why we've got to like have a good mixture of stories to tell, which is like we are pro small business. Yes, we believe in sensible regulation, but we're not going to be for unnecessary regulation. We're going to try to make things more affordable for people. And there are other ways you can make business more affordable too. things like lowering healthcare costs, et cetera you know, improving the safety net uh, and just creating a general sense of stability, which is what you want if you're in. So we do, we have to, we have to take that seriously too. Cause I do think there are, there still continue to be reasons why people join the Republican party other than bigotry. Like, right, and I think as Democrats keep that in their head, like, cause I think this is like an easy thing that people can do sometimes just to be like, all right, like, like, any any reason why people not that I'm saying you'd said this, but like yeah. any reason why people would join the Republican Party is because there's like brain damage. But I actually talk to these people like, yeah, you know, I run like a dry cleaning business and the taxes are going up. My government services aren't getting any better. And yeah, although I hate this, you know, the way this guy talks uh, and I find myself socially liberal, like the most important thing to me is this business. And they're telling me a better story about this business. And so that's why I think like Democrats just need to go right at that. And I think based on this messaging frame, they take it seriously. And that's that's really good news. Yeah, it's the ability to say to that business, like we, you know, as a business owner, we think you should be free from all this other BS, right? And like right. The, the, the idea of like, uh, I don't know that because most small business owners are not like in the top 1%, like, you know, right. go it after it from, from a tax perspective that way. The idea that like, oh, there should be more support through Obamacare so that you don't have to compete for people by paying more of their premiums and all that kind of stuff. So, right. Uh, so right. here's, here's the other part of this video of this announcement that I did like, uh, but there's a, another side to it, right? When I first heard finish the job, which we've heard from Biden before, I think we heard it um, in the state of the union um you know that that's a major theme of this and it's it's sort of his argument for re-election like here's what we've done let's finish the job i was like that's actually kind of a perfect way to do this because what is their biggest uh concern what's the biggest liability here he's the oldest president ever and he's running for re-election and so mm. how do you make the argument that you should let the oldest president ever run for re-election get another term i think a subtle way to do it is let him finish. Like he's been at this a really yeah. long time. We're not saying like it's, it's their way of saying like we're not saying Joe Biden is the future of America. We're not saying he's the right. future of the Democrat. We're saying let this guy finish the job. He's done a good job. He's been at this a very long time. 
let him finish. And um, now the funny part about that, the other side to that is I mentioned that to somebody who cynically uh, said to me, it means die in office. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> well, no, it's not uh-huh. what it means. But but it did then then when um, when the press secretary, when she and I'm sure she feels terrible about this, when she was given a question that was, is he going to serve the full eight years? And his answer, sorry, the dog is crying. And, and his answer was or her answer was, uh, well, you'd have to talk to the president about that. Now, she was just thinking that's a political question. I'm not going to answer it from the podium. And she corrected it right afterwards. But they're going to have to be they're going to have to be really thoughtful about that. Like we should be honest about that. This is a, a guy we like, but he's an old guy uh, running yeah. for reelection. And you're going to see that hopefully thought about in everything that they do. And I think finish the job thinks about how to frame that. Yeah. It would be particularly problematic if you're running against DeSantis or one of these other candidates, obviously, cause, right? Because right, Trump is still old. He's not as old as Biden, but he's still old. Right. Um, He's strangely energetic for an older man, as something we've talked about on this podcast. But you know, we'll we'll do another deep dive on his kind his, of like the, he is when we see him. But if you think yeah. about it, all the re- like Joe Biden, like maybe he doesn't look as energetic, but we know he like takes meetings all day and does works the job. Yeah, and he actually does the job. Maybe Trump that's was why like energetic on camera, and then he would sit and like eat and watch television the rest of the time. That's why he's so energetic. He's well rested. Yeah. Well, okay, one here and we don't even need to play the video but there was this video that the rnc sent out as a response video and i just want to point out one part of this that's fascinating because the messages are bs but they did a clever thing which is they used ai artificial intelligence to generate the video and they did that not because it made the video better basically what they were doing was like creating ai generated images of kamala harris and biden after winning and then they created like this like imagery of a war breaking out and like a domestic crisis and what they the reason why they did this it seems is because they wanted to trick the press into covering the ai element of it so they can get views on this video and that is precisely what happened Mm -hmm. like the press obsessed with ai played this video and comment oh isn't this interesting this video does AI. it's like it's pretty press smart. So, yeah, press is dumb. Smart move, though. Not. To, I'm not sure this video is going to make any difference. But you know, not, not the, to be clear, the Biden video in and of itself isn't going to make a difference either. It's the mm-hmm. it's the signaling of his message. It's the beginning yeah, of a sets story. a tone. Yeah, yeah. To be clear, so I think so. You know, he announced right. Mm-hmm. So we've got some other things to talk about here. Some juicier stories in the second half. Here, we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. But when we come back. We got a lot to say about this Tucker exit. We're going to revisit this Bud Light boycott that we talked about last week, some movement there. We're going to talk about Gorsuch and some ethics issues with him. We're also going to talk about Kirsten Cinema and how she uh, may be in trouble in Arizona. All of that and more when we return. Athletic Greens is part of my daily routine. I drink it first thing in the morning, and sometimes I even drink it in the afternoon again if I had a particularly tough day or if I had a bunch of workouts or something. And what I love about this is, you know, it's obviously nutritional insurance, but it for me, over time, it's now taken the place of so many different vitamins and supplements that I used to take. And what you're getting with Athletic Greens AG1 is this is just one scoop powder, and you mix it with water, and it gives you 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients. So if you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com majority. That's athleticgreens.com majority and 
check it out. Cold turkey may be great on sandwiches, but there's a better way to break your bad habits. We're not talking about some weird mind voodoo from your wacky neighbor or some sketchy message board. We're talking about our sponsor, Fume, and they look at the problem in a different way. Not everything in a bad habit is wrong, so instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-nominated device that does just that. Instead of electronics, fume is completely natural. Instead of vapor, fume uses flavored air. And instead of harmful chemicals, fume uses all natural delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your fume comes with an adjustable airflow dial and is designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting, giving your fingers a lot to do, which is helpful for de-stressing and anxiety while breaking your habit. Join fume in accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the journey pack today. Head to tryfume.com and use code majority to save 10% off when you get the journey pack today. That's tryfum.com and use code majority to save an additional 10% off your order today. So Jason, last week we talked about this Bud Light boycott background. Bud Light had, you know, some influencer got a pack of Bud Light and featured in her like video, uh, this Bud Light, the influencer happened to be a trans person. The right went crazy, called for a boycott of Bud Light. You asked a question last week. Well, what does victory even look like? And I said, well, I'm actually worried that there is a clear victory in sight and that it would basically be a chilling effect across these companies. And that is precisely what's happened. It looks like the marketing executive who oversaw the partnership between Bud Light. As By the way, the way this is written in the yeah. AP, this is what I'm reading off of. Oversaw the partnership between Bud Light and a transgender influencer is taking a leave of absence after it snowballed into a crisis. Now... <laughs> oversaw the partnership. This was like a thousand dollar partnership or something like yeah. maybe 10, you know, as if this were like the critical meeting on a Monday, let's get the chief marketing officer out there to talk about this influencer campaign. What bullshit? Like, so yeah, I mean, the right got what it won. Essentially they, they did win. Matt Wells is right. They got their scalp. Yeah. And just to shed a little more light on like the quote unquote partnership, like the way this works, like, if you have a decent amount of social media followers, brands just reach out to you and they're like, hey, if we send you some of our stuff, will you put it on your feed? And sometimes they're like, and we'll pay you if you get a certain amount of clicks to get. Our I mean, it's like it's not that much different than like podcast sponsorships. Right. Although, of course, we uh, have real partnerships and care a great deal about every one of yeah, our but like, sponsors. Like, look, I. Yeah. I but like, give us a call. I'm fraudulent I, here. But yeah, call us. We can. I'm from Missouri. I mean, back. I've drank a lot of Bud Light in my life. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, you know, like I, <laughs> I get this stuff all the time. You know, I get people reaching out to me. So it I'm sure this marketing executive was not the one who had the idea to reach out to this person. They just oversaw the influence. Even program. if they did, it's totally it doesn't fine. matter. Right. Of course. Yeah. yeah. But they got their scalp. That's all we need to talk about with that. We just want to update that story. Let's talk about Tucker Carlson. You know, I don't think our audience needs a primer on this, but they probably <laughs> want to get our sense of what's going on here. I just want to layer in some juicy details that have come out since, which is that um, Rolling Stone is reporting that Fox News has a secret opposition research file to keep Tucker Carlson in check. This is an interesting article. Eight sources tell Rolling Stone that the network's top press has been stockpiling information on Carlson. The file includes internal complaints regarding workplace conduct, disparaging comments about management colleagues, and allegations that he created a toxic work environment. This is apparently being overseen by they have an internal hatchet woman uh, internal to the company who's been at the center of a lot of crazy stuff 
uh, it seems there's a lot of speculation as to what happened here. The the best explanation I've heard is that in the legal documents, some of the stuff that we got access to was redacted, but Fox had more information than we have. And basically what they got were messages from Tucker Carlson disparaging executives at Fox News. And then apparently when confronted with this information, he kind of doubled down on it. So I think essentially so goes the explanation that Tucker Carlson uh, basically was like F you to Fox News, uh, go, probably going all the way up to Murdoch. And they were like, all right, let's wait for the perfect moment to fire this guy. They waited till after they settled. That's the, I mean, maybe there'll be another explanation that comes out, but that seems to be the most likely explanation based on the ones I've seen. Yeah, I think of it this way, like the so-called oppo file on him, it's just his HR record, right? I yeah, mean, that's it, all it, it is. They have it on as everybody. As if that's going to stop him. Yeah, yeah as if that's like, going to stop him. They, you know, if you, if you make a complaint, if you, if you lodge a complaint against a fellow employee or against your boss, it's going to go in their HR file. And then, the, and then clearly the way it works at Fox is they take those and then they measure that against your profitability as a, as a, as to the company. And that's how they decide whether to keep you. Whereas like in an right. ethical company, they just address right. these complaints as they come up. Up, but the way they do it is they like, well, let's put it in this manila envelope. And mm-hmm. then if at some point it no longer becomes profitable uh, or, or wise from a corporate standpoint for us to keep him employed here, well, then we will use this as grounds to do it. Whereas like in any other yeah. like properly functioning organization, these would have resulted in several, you know, counseling sessions, performance improvement uh, reports and in all sorts. But they didn't do that with him because he's making them money. Uh, you know, before we we went on the air here, Brett casually just asked me, he's like, were you surprised by the firing of Tucker Carlson? My answer was no. But before I get into why, I'm curious whether you were surprised by it, Robert. Strangely, no. I think in part, Honestly, because of the conversation we had, I think it was last week or the week before, about how replaceable people are. Mm-hmm. So I was like, eh, yeah, like, I don't think it's a big deal to, to Fox News one way or the other. Because they could yeah. just put another, you know, parted hair, you know, bow tie wearing conservative. Well, now flannel. I'm sorry. We're not bow ties. We're not in the 90s anymore. We're yeah. not flannel. And we're everyman types. But you get what I'm saying. Like, they'll totally. replace them with another person who maybe gets them in a little bit of less trouble, but is just as disingenuous and manipulative as he was. And they live to fight another day. There's a, I keep using these sports analogies, but here's, here's one I really like for this. There's a baseball stat, like an advanced baseball nerd statistic called wins above replacement. They shorten it to war. And it's just, what they do is they literally take a player and they look at their stats and then they compare it to the average player who would probably replace that player, like would come up from the minor leagues and replace them. And they just say, how many wins are you supposed to get with that player above what you would get with the replacement? And I'm telling you, the the war, the wins above replacement number for Tucker Carlson is like 0.01. And here's how I know is that like, who is Tucker Carlson? Is he some huge star coming into this? Sure. Like the time slot at the number one cable network in, in the in the world made him a star, right? Yeah, the slot made him the star. He exactly. didn't make the slot. Right? Right. He's that slot not, has always done well. That slot it, has always done well. Yeah, because like, look, where did he come from? He came from being a contributor on Fox News. And before that, he was uh, across from Paul Begala on Crossfire. And Paul Begala is awesome. I like Paul, you know, but like, it's not like Crossfire made Paul into a mainstay on cable news. Paul went back to political right. consulting and does that. And, and, and then, OK, who did he replace? He replaced Bill O'Reilly. 
Was Bill O'Reilly a huge star before he came to Fox News? No, Bill O'Reilly was from Inside Edition. Okay. And like, I'm sure worked his way up in the local news scene to get there. Like, it's not like people probably have different views about like Megyn Kelly. Okay. But like, Megyn Kelly had like a career as a prosecutor, as like a really adept, impressive person, and then made it in a in a in a male dominated world, right? Like like to some extent, the Will McAvoy character in uh in newsroom, newsroom is is more similar, even though the politics are different, more similar to Megyn Kelly than to anybody else. So my point is like. I, I'm not surprised because like that time slot is what prints money, not Tucker Carlson. And as soon as Tucker Carlson had cost them three quarters of a billion dollars, along with Hannity and Laura Ingram, who, by the way, I don't know how long they're going to be there because Fox right. News may be like, hey, to keep the analogy going, they may be like, it's time for a rebuild. It's time for, yeah. for something fresh around here. And they're just going to do it one time slot at a time is what I think is going on. Oh, by the way, was anybody shocked at all to find out that Tucker Carlson's uh, like that that his working at his program was a toxic work environment? Like, you know, they they knew that they just were like, oh, he doesn't make us money anymore. Let's talk about how toxic his work environment is. Well, whenever I sit down with candidates and I and I do this in the arena training, too, which is like and I I advise people who are staffers when they're looking to work for a candidate. So either if you're the candidate or the staffer, I say something similar, which is uh, the best way to start in a campaign, and this is applicable to Tucker Carlson too, is to be radically honest with who you are. And so I tell staffers, find a candidate who's honest with who they are and you like who that person is. And I tell candidates, make sure you know who you are and just be that person. And that's the greatest defense against any attacks people will have on you. Because voters, they don't, they hate hypocrites more than anything else. They hate somebody who has something to hide. And that gets to blackmail, right? Like who's immune to blackmail? People who are just who they are publicly, like, and and this is a perfect case of Tucker Carlson. I do think he's fraudulent in many ways, but not in the ways that Fox is trying to peg him, right? Like the way the way Tucker is, Carl, is, is fraudulent came out in those text messages already, mm-hmm. right? How he was saying one thing on air and a different thing privately. That's already public. The stuff that's in this Rolling Stone article that he had a hostile work environment, that he's sexist, yada, 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 that he's disparaging to his colleagues. That is that is not surprising to anybody who's been watching Tucker Carlson up until today. So therefore, blackmail is meaningless to him. Right. It's almost like the Eminem eight mile. Like, let me just tell you who I am before you even get up with the mic. And yeah. then what are you going to say after that? So. I, I am not impressed by this whole, like, we have a secret oppo file. In many ways, it might just antagonize him. It's also not going to change, I don't think, viewership that much for Fox News because at this point, like, the, the if you are an obsessive cable news watcher, it's muscle memory, man. Like, your TV probably yeah. has the little Fox News thing burned into the screen. It's a, like, yeah. I, I can remember, I don't, I don't really watch, I watch cable news when there's, like, sometimes when there's like huge breaking, like January 6th level news. And then I will sometimes watch it a little bit right around, like after the polls have closed, I will watch it after the polls have closed on election day to get the information. And that's pretty much it. Now it's extremely effective at, at sucking you in because I, every time I do that, I find myself two hours later still watching it. And I'm like, why I got the information I needed and I turn it off, but, but I'm still watching it. It's very effective, but I've had friends. Like when I was on my book tour, I had a friend text me because there was one morning where I did morning Joe 
in the morning the book launched. And then that night I did Stephanie Rule's show. So they're both on MSNBC, but they're like 12 hours apart. And I had a friend text me at the end of the day. It was a very nice, supportive text about how he thought I did great on Morning Joe, but even better on Stephanie Rule. And I, and I was like, thank you. We should talk about your news diet, because if you just happen to catch me (laughs) on both of those shows, that's not good for you. You shouldn't be watching all day long, but a lot of people do. And you could put I mean, I don't they're going to put Brian Kilmeade or Waters, that guy, he's awful. Or one of these folks in that spot and people are going to be like, this is what I do at this time of day. And it's not going to change much. Yeah, if they were smart, they would reinvent themselves as a truly conservative heterodox news company because there's not a lot of that right now. Like almost like what the bulwark is, but like if they were more zany and and weird, like if you're just like, hey, like you never know what you're going to get from us. We got people on who may, may hate Trump, may love Trump or whatever, but there's like some story they're telling that's surprising because look, like this alternative media environment is going to eat Fox's lunch. Like at a certain point, like they're just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And in a world for who's most extreme, Fox News is never going to win because they have a whole different like revenue model than an Infowars is like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Infowars is going to be like, all right, some supplement company is going to pay our bills and they don't care whether we're racist or not. Whereas for Fox News, like they're having like traditional advertisers. So they have to, they're constrained by like certain laws that the rest of this alternative media isn't constrained by. And so if I were them, I'd make a full on pivot, like actually be the fair and balanced that they pretended to be back in the day. Uh, but do I think that's going to happen? No. But, well, you know, I don't know. Murdoch, Murdoch is a capable guy, maybe maybe less so now that he's so old, but he is he is super capable and has a good eye for how to pivot. Well, he, so got, rid of, he got rid of Tucker Carlson when he said this yeah. is I mean, that's a pivot, at least because he was like, this isn't working. But uh, to your point, it is kind of a, a, an age old story about large corporate institutions uh, are there. It's just as difficult to. Turn the wheel, liner. yeah. As yeah. it is, as it is, large government institutions. I mean, it's 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 what happened to Blockbuster. It's what happened to Kodak. It's what you know. It's like, but we've right. been doing it this way this long. Obviously, this is going to continue to work. And then the ones that that figure it out and keep going um, are the ones like the Domino's Pizzas of the world who are constantly like the majority fifty fours. Yes, to video, that's, that's you know right. Who are, yeah. you disrupt yourself as opposed to being disrupted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's right, you and me, corporate geniuses. Yeah, that's us. We're just <laughs> lightning quick. We're nimble. We're nimble. I mean, the Midas guys are as nimble. Shout out to them. I don't know if I've ever met a more nimble media company. Than yeah, we're really just smart enough to be like, like, can, like we, out of their, can we be their a part garage, of this? Literally. Yeah. I just, just People ask me about Midas all the time, and I'm just like, man, they're, they're, it's just a bunch of brothers who have more time in the day than anybody I've ever met. Like, they just <laughs> and make figured it, happen. it out. Uh, shout out to them. All right. So, um, cinema, you are friends with her opponent, uh, friend and, of the pod. Used, the used to be, before. used to be friendly with cinema. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and she's in trouble. It seems there's a new poll out, uh, and that shows that she has a net favorability of net 20, negative 23, not great. <laughs> no. And this is from a public policy polling and says that she would lose badly in any potential matchup in November. And it's basically unpopular with everybody. And it shows that uh, just 27% of voters in the state view her favorably and want her to run again compared to 50% who view her unfavorably and 54% who say she shouldn't run again. Gallego, her Democratic opponent, 
uh, and likely Democratic challenger, has a net positive favorability with 39% of voters approving of him and 28% disapproving. So basically a lot left for Gallego to tell his story to the voters one way or the other. Whereas it seems like people have an impression of cinema over there in the great state of Arizona. Yeah, it just goes to show you that uh, you can do all you want to make your Republican colleagues in the Senate like you uh, and try and triangulate all sorts of different things and capitulate and everything. But uh, voters on both sides of the aisle don't actually respect that. Right. So obviously you're going to you're going to make the Democrats mad because they're like, "Mm, you screwed us. And then you think, hey, but now I have all these Republican friends and the Republican friends are like, yeah, we don't trust you because we don't believe you about any of these things. We just think you're doing it to get our vote. Right. And then you're like, well, but independents and independents are like, yeah, we're independent because we like actually uh, believe in like we we don't like politicians. I mean, that's like why we're independent. And like you seem like more of a politician than any of the politicians. Um, And I think clearly this poll uh, getting as much play as it is, it has to do with a fair amount of people, probably Ruman's campaign, uh, chief among them, who just want her to just go away and just not run and just give it up and head to the corporate boards and the lobbying contract or whatever she's got in mind and like move on, go into the sunset so we can have a regular old Democratic versus Republican uh, race in Arizona. Yeah. But it's also worth mentioning another depressing stat february 2023 mansion was 24 points behind his gop rival the governor uh mm-hmm. justice not looking good for him there now i we've talked about this before i don't treat mansion and cinema the same i think right. that mansion is literally the only human being who could win for us in west virginia and therefore his behavior to me is like we can critique it we have critiqued it but it's different and yeah. his standing within the party i think is different I also, uh, he also is a, think he also the, is a Democrat. Yeah, he still yeah, he's still away he's, from that label. He's still a Democrat, <laughs> like in a much yeah. harder state. And yep. to be honest, like Joe Manchin has been like a centrist for like ever. <laughs> you know, like right. I mean, it's not he didn't just discover it. Um, now the center he, has moved, but he hasn't. <laughs> exactly. You know, I there's I I used to say about a Democrat that will go unnamed. Uh, I used to refer to the person as a progressive Democrat who stopped progressing in 1992, and yeah. and I and I just think that's probably a decent explanation uh, of Joe Manchin. And like I'm not, I don't agree with that, but I do respect it more than somebody who seems to have just gotten themselves all pretzeled chasing after uh, private equity money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, so that's not great. That's, that's two races where we've got, I mean, if we emerge with Gallego, great. Although the, the presence of cinema could just cause trouble generally. Mm -hmm. And there's all sorts of shenanigans that can happen there. West Virginia looks really bad. And then we've got tester. I mean, this is a tough map for us. We got Sherry Brown. So this is gonna be tough, but you know, we outperformed last time. Who knows what will happen this time. Mm -hmm. Let's move uh, to one other story. This is in a way an update. We've been talking for a long time about Supreme court ethics. A couple of things have happened here. Uh, Democrats tried to get Roberts to testify about Supreme court ethics. He turned them down. Also this week, uh, it came out that Gorsuch, uh, also has some issues with his disclosures. For nearly two years, beginning in 2015, he sought a buyer for a huge piece of property in Colorado. Uh, nine days after he was confirmed by the Senate, um, he got an offer. <laughs> nine days after being confirmed. 
by the executive of Greenberg Traurig, one of the biggest law firms in the country, which has tons of cases before the Supreme Court. And uh, Gorsuch, who in some cases, you know, he'll he'll declare a fishing rod. He'll declare little gifts here and there somehow misses the fact that nine days after his confirmation, one of the biggest law firms in the country and the world with tons of cases before him, the executive chairman buys his property doesn't feel free to, doesn't feel the need to to disclose that i mean it, what the it hell goes back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago on this is that it's a combination of like i know this looks bad so and i don't have to uh, by my reading don't have to disclose it so i won't combined with how blind so many folks in public office are to influence right like because look i'm sure that because judges and lawyers all hang out together. They go to the same charity golf tournaments. We've talked about this before. They go to the same stuff. They go to the same dinners where awards are given for this lawyer or that lawyer. And the judges love to go because they can't be expected to give any money to any politics, but they get treated like judges and they, you know, and they love it. Right. Um, I'm sure he knows this person. I'm sure he knows him personally. You know, I'm sure it's not totally unlike Harlan Crow. And so it's like, well, yeah, I know this guy and that's why this deal worked out. Like, but that's the point. You know the guy because of what you've done for a living and be, and and maybe he wanted to buy from you because of what you do now, right? Like uh right. so it is frustrating. And if you can't and maybe trust Neil Gorsuch, who can you trust, Robbie? Right. But but you know what? Maybe maybe there's nothing to it. But yeah. you're the Supreme Court. Like can we can we have some standards here? Like so at the same time we got all this Thomas stuff which is truly nuts. And you've got the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court who has previously said he doesn't want to apply any ethics rules to this court and that they can police themselves. And then he's refusing to go in front of Congress. We've talked about the fact that they erect barricades around themselves but won't let abortion clinics do it. You just go down the long list of hypocrisy here and the fact that this is supposed to be the institution in public life with the most integrity. And they just don't seem to have a whole lot of it. You know, these are the types of things like like if your lawyer falls asleep in court and you get convicted uh, of a capital murder, they're like, well, you know, like it is what it is, you know. Uh, And meanwhile, they're just leaving things blank. Like, oh, honest mistake. I'm like, come on now. Well, like, uh, yeah, you know. Um, you can't here's a here's so two positions you can't really hold at the same time, uh, which is that you know, Disney has too much power to police itself. Um, but the Supreme Court is fine. Like right. it's like, no, 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 no. Like either you police yourself or you don't. Like and by the way, why are we on an honor system in America with any public officials? Like, what yeah. about our history has taught us lifetime? public officials right like what about our history <laughs> has has indicated that no oversight is necessary right like right zero zero things zero things have, have taught us that you know i mean well you want to you want another hypocrisy not not that counting hypocrisies is good for our mental health because we'll be here all day but how about like the sense that desantis the right wing they hate tenure they hate tenure for teachers they mm-hmm. hate it for professors but they seem to love it for these supreme court justices <laughs> yeah you know they want to take they basically want to take 24 year old fed sock uh, uh you know members coming out of yale law school and make them lifetime judges mm-hmm. no know? that's like not basically 
That's like yeah. the whole point of the. That's like that's the point of the entire campaign apparatus at this point. So yeah, yeah. God forbid you take a you know at that same twenty four year old and pay them thirty thousand dollars a year and stick them in the Mississippi Delta to teach kids math and say, hey, let's give you a little bit of job protection. Like yeah. that's too much to ask. You know. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. I think that's a very good point you make, Robbie. Um, it's interesting given all the rest of your views. I mean, that I think it's a great look. Education. Gotta, I would have to cut that from the pod. Yeah. No, I'm I know. I, like I still it. believe in it. I, I like I'm more it. friendly to the teachers than people realize. No, I, I know. I just think it's I have complicated views. I think this is an uh, indication of that. So uh, you know, I like it. I think that's all we got. That's a good place. All right. To end. Well, for Graminor, um, I am going to have yet another somewhat Afghan-related Graminor this week. We will probably go back to more politically oriented ones. Um, but something that I care about a lot is. Uh, one of the things that I've done in my Afghan evacuation work and, and the Afghan rescue project stuff is we are in the process of, of bringing quite a few um, Afghan allies uh, from Albania, where we evacuated them to uh, over the next few months to the city of St. Louis, which has been an incredible partner. And the city of St. Louis is over the next period of time, like next year or so, is going to become one of the largest Afghan-American populations in the country um, and very much on purpose. And it's very cool. And the resettlement agency in St. Louis, uh, it's called it's called the International Institute of St. Louis, uh, and they've been an incredible partner. And if people are interested in supporting them, and I hope that they are, they can go to IISTL.org. That's IISTL.org. That's the International Institute of St. Louis, which is the resettlement agency uh, that has been a great partner to us in resettling Afghan allies uh, who were evacuated um, from Afghanistan uh, after the fall or after the takeover of the Taliban. So with that said, one for us, what's new? What's new with you? What's going on? You're in Monterey. You're about to surf a big wave. About to turn 40 on Friday. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. You doing anything special? My You've last, already done your birthday party and stuff. My is, last is, 48 the, hours. Well, is that the day you're doing the big surfing thing? I'm surfing on Thursday night at this wave pool. They had, they, yeah, that Kelly Slater pool that's uh -huh. like um, a football field size wave, which is great. Then I got to fly back this weekend because I'm moving. I bought, oh, yeah. finally closed on this place I've been uh, trying to buy for a year in Brooklyn. So I'm moving to the suburbs, Jason. <laughs> the suburbs. You uh, New uh, York people like... <laughs> Brooklyn, the suburbs. It's so funny. Well, I'm moving to this building, you know, near a lot of my friends in Brooklyn. And uh, it's great. I'm like, so I got I'm got a lot going on the next few days. I got to move, which like moving obviously sucks. I'm trying to make it fun. But it's, uh, I wouldn't say I'm looking forward to the move, but I am looking forward to the new place. What about you? Uh, you know, <laughs> It's been, it's just a lot of coaching baseball, playing baseball. It's been really fun lately. I, I'll tell you a Bella story. Where are we in the season right now? Uh, well, so Trues, Trues, Trues playing a lot. Trues had a bunch of tournaments and stuff, and uh, and then my games are about to start. Um, I will tell you a, uh, a, a not about True, not about baseball. Not about I'll just. But I just can wanna, I just ask you one baseball question before sure, you yeah. go to the Bella story? Um, you can ask me a hundred, and these people will, baseball, will stick around. I don't know. We'll lose everybody. It's yeah. okay. It's the end. Uh, the. Baseball seasons seem, I know that the MLB season lasts forever, but it also seems like Little League and all this also lasts forever because oh, I yeah. hated baseball as a kid. And I remember like I would sign up and then I was, I'm not a quitter. So I would stay on the teams. And I just remember it never ending. Like, <laughs> like it just would last until the next year, basically, until the next fall. Yeah, because you got fall ball. You know what? Look, if you are into youth sports now is such a racket, like so much money is made on youth sports. And if you're into it, like my son is, yeah, like to give you an idea, um, 
True plays, his team plays in a league. So that's like one game a week and a practice a week. But then they also, as a team, play tournaments because they're like a competitive travel team or whatever, right? So like I'm all weekend, I'm, so one night a week, I'm coaching a league game, coaching practice. And then all weekend, I'm coaching his team at tournaments, right? And that's like, Two games on Saturday, as many as if you keep winning three games on Sunday. And it's like all day. And True's just like, I want more of it. Like he just like this weekend, his his team's not in a tournament. Another team asked him, would you come and guest play? And he's like, yeah. So he's like going to play for some other team this weekend. And uh, that's fun. You know? I, I want to pitch True on, on a job. I want to have a job in the true world. I want to okay. be his nutritionist. Because <laughs> as, as far as I could tell... <laughs> that boy does not eat any food and he wants to, he seems really into sports which yeah. is not surprising given his dad i want to sit him down and be like look man you've got to eat food if you want to be an athlete you're, because he's you're like, invited to do that because he's 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 so active he's always moving and does not appear to eat food ever from what i can tell <laughs> he, i have no evidence he eats an extremely it. healthy diet but not enough of it he's very good about being a healthy eater but the hard part is keeping his butt in the chair long enough for him to finish the meal. Because like you said, he just yeah. is moving all the time. All right, quick, because I never give my daughter any love on the show and not that she cares. She's two and a half. Um, she's just increasingly so adorable. And this latest thing that's so great is she's two and a half years old and she has picked up. She's great at her please and thank yous. But lately, I'm not sure where it came from. One of us, I guess. She pretty much never says thank you. She just says, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, she, and it's so cool. She's two and a half and she'll look right at you. You hand her like her milk in the morning or whatever, her like sippy cup. And she'll say, thank you so much, daddy. And it's like, oh, it just melts your heart. It's just incredible, man. You know what's funny about, that's hilarious. Cause you, you got to put that on video to the extent you put her up or maybe on your, your, your more private the Instagram. Close I want to see thing, these yeah. videos. The, uh, the police is such a funny word, by the way, mm -hmm. because it often is passive aggressive. Yeah. Like it's why like somebody once said to me, it might have been in the South, like called me out for not saying please. I'm like, when I say please, especially because I'm a New Yorker in the South, it sounds like I'm like mad at you. Like, can you do this, please? Like if I just said, <laughs> hey, could you do this? You know what I'm saying? See, like, hey, Jason. Hey, Jason, could you do that? Or Jason, could you do that, please? It's like the second one sounds worse, I think. Yeah, it's like I how it's like as a grown up. You yeah, know? it's funny because like I, you know, I grew up like please and thank you were so ground into me that like when I like like when I'm sitting at a table and the and and somebody comes over and they refill the water of someone else at the table, I and I'm yeah. talking, I will stop what I'm doing and turn to the server and say thank you. And it's like compulsive. Like my yeah. dad ground that into me so hard and please. And so like I've done it with True. So like when we go to Chipotle, True stands there and he he knows that if he doesn't finish every request with please, like uh, chicken please and you know whatever, that dad will be upset. But I also agree with you that if I do it on every single one, as an adult, the person's going to be like, what's this guy's deal? Like, Especially yeah. if you put it early in the sentence. So, yeah. Jason, can you please do yeah. this thing for me? It's like, whoa, settle down. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah, you're like, right. What's going on, buddy? Yeah. So it is It is. It is a bit of a 
It's a bit of a puzzle. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, for more on this sort of uh, etiquette uh, regional uh, discussion, <laughs> uh, make sure you subscribe to Majority 54 wherever you listen to audio podcasts. Just search Majority 54 and please leave a five-star review. Uh, can you please? Can you please can leave you, a five-star review? Please. Enough please. I mean, Enough please. Uh, thank you to the Midas Mighty. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Thank you.